0: The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. We're here this evening to study in the word of God. We are looking at Romans. We're doing a review of Romans. We are in chapter 16. The first two verses of chapter 16 is what we're going to start with tonight, uh, which talks about Phoebe the deaconess. And we will take a look at that here in just a moment. Before we do, let's take a moment for silent prayer. We do need to ensure that our hearts are prepared for the study of the Word of God. This entails confession of sin, if necessary. Uh, if it's necessary for you to be restored to fellowship and filled with the Spirit, then we give you the opportunity to do that during this mo- uh, this time of silent prayer. But also, it's very important, in order for us to be teachable, we have to be humble. So let's take a moment for silent prayer to make sure that our hearts are humble and ready to be taught the eternal truth of God's word. Shall we pray? Most gracious and merciful and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for providing us this opportunity to meet here at the church. The provisions that were made in order for this gathering to be possible are innumerable. And yet, in your perfect overseeing of this local church, you made it possible for all of us to be here tonight. I thank you for the prayer meeting that we just had, the blessing of being able to lift up our supplications before the throne of grace together as a group. That's a blessing that I never take for granted It just fills my heart with joy to pray with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for this opportunity to consider the truth of your word, and I pray that each and every one of us would set aside all the the many distractions of our daily lives, focus our attention tonight on what it is your word is trying to teach us, that through the ministry of your word and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we might understand these things, apply them to our daily lives, and that they would indeed, Bring about that transformation by the renewing of the mind. Father, we pray all of these things in Jesus Christ's most precious and beautiful name. Amen. All right, we are to chapter 16, which means we are nearing the end of our review. We'll take a look at our translation here. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deaconess of the church, which is at Centrea. So that you welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you provide her with whatever type of assistance she may need from you. For she herself has also been a supporter of many and of myself as well. Let's look at some principles of those two verses. Paul thought highly of Phoebe, who is a biblical example of a deaconess. I've talked about this before in First Timothy. We did not translate it as deaconesses. We just translated it as women. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Well, it's right here in the middle of this section talking about deacons. And I don't think that's an accident. When Paul is teaching in this second, he's talking about the qualifications of deacons, which is in the masculine. And then he brings up the women because we have a biblical example here of a deaconess. And I've talked about this before any time you, uh, you uh, have somebody assume a role like this within a local church, all the rest of Scripture applies in terms of application of that, right? So do you take a deaconess, somebody who's serving as a deaconess, and put them in a position of authority over the men of the church? No, <laughs> you don't do that. So there's nothing wrong. If you remember, this is the key. In modern-day Christianity, in modern-day churches, uh, and It is considered you have these deacons and they are considered to be almost like the board members that go along with the CEO of over a corporation. Right. And so they're the they're thought of in that manner. Right. As as almost the leaders of the corporation, that is the local church. And that's the wrong way to view it, because what you have in a local church is you have an overseer uh, of that church. You have elders. That's a spiritual maturity within the church. And you have deacons, which that word in the Greek the idea of the deaconess that is a servant role. And so can women serve in the local church? I think so. So can we have a woman who serves in the role of a deaconess within a church? Absolutely we can. And as a function of that, that, that deaconess would be put in ministry opportunities where there would not, we would not violate the principle of her being in authority over one, uh, one or more of the men in the church, So that's a simple thing. So deaconesses is absolutely legitimate. It's in our Constitution. It's one of the things I almost always ask people about. If somebody's interested in becoming a member, I ask them to read the Constitution and I say, well, uh, uh, what did you think of the Constitution? Oh, yeah, I liked it. I agree with everything that's in there. What about the deaconess part? I usually ask about that because I'm interested to hear what they say. And a lot of times I think they kind of just brush over that and don't really pay attention to it. But it's something that usually raises questions. She served in a local church of Centrea, which was a port city closely associated with the city of Corinth, but this was a separate local church. Uh, I have that highlighted. Uh, This is a little article that we read talking about ancient Corinth, and it went on and talked about um, the city, which was nearby, right? Seven miles to the east was this port city of Centrea. And we're not going to go back and read through that again, but the idea is it's a city That's uh, very close by Corinth, which we know certainly there there were some letters written to those believers, right? (laughs) First and second Corinthians. And in fact, if you understand, if you've ever learned those, if you've ever studied those, there were additional letters that Paul wrote to those Christians that were not considered canonical. They were not actually considered uh, authoritative word of God letters. But he wrote more than just those two letters to the believers at Corinth. Uh, But now this city was a port city. Right there, And if you know where Corinth is, it's kind of an interesting area because it's kind of a little part there where the ships would come in on the eastern side and then the ships would come in on the western side. But if you went around the peninsula, there were some pretty, pretty serious seas that they would encounter there in the Mediterranean Sea. And so very often in terms of the, the way the trade went, they would they would actually bring their ships up. They would unload their cargo and that cargo would actually be transported across the little peninsula there uh, through the city of Corinth. And then it would go to the other end and then a the ship would pick the cargo up and take it the rest of the way. It was just a safer way to do things. Well, so Corinth then had a lot of uh, trade. It was a wealthy city. It also had a lot of sailors and everything that goes with that. Right. So you can you can fill in the blanks on that. But so it was an interesting city. Well, this is a little port city. Uh, that's right there near Corinth, associated with that trade as well. Uh, This is a separate local church. However, let me get rid of that little thing on there. I don't know how I get rid of that. Why is that not going away? Let me try to change and go back. It's not going away. Eh, Quit doing that. There we go. Sometimes technology. I don't know what to do with it. However, this local church was more than likely founded by believers from the church at Corinth. It was so close by. It's, I mean, I can't prove that from the Bible, but it seems really likely that since you had a fairly large population of believers there in Corinth, and certainly probably some of, that, some of them that were engaged in the trade activities actually were living in this city of Centrea, And so instead, once that church established itself in Corinth, you almost certainly had a church plant. As you know, modern terminology, you had a church plant. They're in the city of Centrea, No, not not unlike this local church right here. right? This local church is a church plant, if you will, uh, of Austin Bible Church. We don't really necessarily think of it that way, but I was trained at Austin Bible Church. The believers, uh, a handful of the believers that were part of the, the original founding members of this church were from Austin Bible Church and lived out in this area. And it's sort of similar kind of thing that took place, I believe, um, in Centrea. I can't prove that, but. I believe it's it's probably the case. We ought to welcome our brothers and sisters in Christ, including those from other churches, with, uh, with all joy. That's what he's saying that they need to do, right, is they need to welcome her. They need to be welcoming to her with all joy. And we need, to, we need to have that same sort of attitude. When we have individuals come and visit from other local churches, that should be a joyful thing. Because like-minded fellowship, right? Praise God for that. I mean, if they might not be from this local church, but they're brothers and sisters in Christ and we have a like-minded fellowship with them. Uh, Philippians 2.29 says, Welcome him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. He goes on to talk about that even more. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Epaphroditus. Yeah, He's talking about welcoming him in the Lord with all joy. Uh, and, and the idea, though, is this is a fellow believer. He's coming, coming to see you. Welcome him then in the Lord with all joy. That's how we ought to be with fellow believers. Now that sounds like a weird thing to say. I don't think I don't feel like when I look at the believers in this congregation, I don't think this is problematic. But there are local churches in uh, in our country. I call them local churches. I'm kind of using that loosely. There actually uh, there are actually uh, ch- churches, so-called churches within our country. That are really more cult like really than it, than they should be, and so they actually there are actually local churches that are like you know if you're not part of this local church, then you're not really right with God, you know so I mean literally they'll take it to that extreme you know you you either you either need to be here part of this local church or you're not right with God, so if somebody comes to visit them from outside it's like uh, I don't know about that, so you know <laughs> You're from that. You're from over there. We're not going to welcome you here. But I mean, that sounds extreme, but it's true. That really does happen. It really does. We fail to be Christ-like when we do not stand with our brothers and sisters. This is an important thing to keep in mind. We need to stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Second, uh, Timothy four, 16 and 17 says that my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me, the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Now, Isn't that sad? We know who wrote Second Timothy, the Apostle Paul. And think about that. At, you know, when when he says At my first defense, no one supported supported me, but all deserted me. You know, part of that part of that was affected by Paul's history yeah who Saul of Tarsus, right? You know, his history. And so you know you can kind of see why that would have happened, but at the same time, isn't that crazy that the one who turns out to be the most uh, one of the most important authors, human authors of the New Testament was deserted uh, when he <laughs> when he shouldn't have been. We should also willingly provide them with assistance according to their needs. This is something important that um, we need to keep in mind. you know if if we have the opportunity, to come alongside and support individuals, brothers and sisters in Christ, that are not part of this local church. Obviously, we know that within the context of the local church, absolutely, you know, we're supposed to be coming alongside and supporting and helping. But what about brothers and sisters outside the local church? If we have an opportunity to support them, then we, we should probably take advantage of that. Now, that includes, by the way, uh, that includes what we do in terms of ministry support as a local church. I mean, we're supporting people all over the world. Uh, But think about this, for example, if we had uh, if we had someone who who came to visit this local church, a brother or a sister in Christ. And we found out that they were on a missionary journey of some kind and they and and they might need some assistance from us in terms of that missionary journey. And we're talking about legitimate. We're not talking about somebody coming here and begging for money. We're talking about somebody coming here. They're part of a ministry. And uh, we have an opportunity as a local church to help them along their way with that ministry. We should do that. That's something we should do. And how do you know the difference between somebody who's just begging and somebody who's actually legit? The Holy Spirit's going to help you understand. You know, discernment. The discernment that comes through the Holy Spirit will help us understand. Uh, This could be easy for us to do when we know that our brother, our sister has a servant's heart. See, Paul mentions that about Phoebe, right, that she has a servant's heart. She's been supporting others. She sees somebody who's been going along and helping others through, through support. And whatnot. And if you, if you know somebody, like, you know, that would be an example I can think of as somebody who we kind of know. Let's say somebody came here from Austin Bible Church and was here on a Sunday morning. We got a chance to talk to them and we know about them and we knew their history. And we knew that all the things that they've been doing for the Lord over years and years. And now, they you know, they're in this ministry opportunity and we can come along and we can support them and what they're doing. That would be an example of how we might know. Uh, about the brother or sister and what we know about their heart. So, I mean, that's why I feel I felt so strongly about, you know, having uh, Pastor Mark Perkins here uh, from that ministry and and being able to support uh, them, you know, financially and in prayer because I know his heart. I've had a chance to be around him enough to know his heart and uh, it makes it easier uh, to be able to Support him and, and be all, all all that we can in terms of helping him in that ministry. However, if we truly understand grace, then we should willingly provide assistance to a fellow believer, even if we don't have such knowledge. Now, does that make sense? All right, it makes it easier. It's easier to support somebody if you know about them and you know their heart. But even if you don't, if you don't understand it, we should be we should be willing to provide assistance to a fellow believer who needs assistance. And by the way, I'm not just talking about cash money. You know, it could be whatever that whatever assistance they might need, whatever it is that they're in need of. We should be willing to help them in that regard. Such assistance should be truly helpful as under the Lord, not an enablement of bad behavior. I can't say that enough. Uh, We're talking in this situation about somebody who's coming to visit and welcoming them and providing for their needs and assistance and all that. I'm going to throw that blanket over everything. We don't ever we don't ever want to do things that enable other believers, bad behavior. That's something you never want to be a part of um, because all you're doing at that, but that point is fostering uh, carnality potentially, fostering uh, big piles of, of wood, hay and stubble as opposed to gold, silver and precious stones. You're not helping them at all if what you're doing is encouraging them in bad behavior. And unfortunately we live in a society and in a culture today where that's what churches are doing right oh yeah oh yeah you 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 two men you're living the gay lifestyle come on in we're going to show you the love of jesus and you guys can continue here as long as you want we're never going to say anything about your homosexual lifestyle because we wouldn't want to offend you and all that kind of what are you doing are you really helping those people are you not really you're not helping them i mean is there anything wrong with welcoming them into the church no there's nothing wrong with welcoming them into the church but the message of the truth of God's word better be conveyed and they should be hearing about the sinful lifestyle that they're living. And, you know, we're talking about that one. That's an easy one. To, that's an easy one to point to. But that's the, the, that truth goes to all sins. I mean, if you're engaged in some kind of a sinful lifestyle and I don't communicate to you through the message of the word of God that that's a sinful lifestyle, I'm not helping you. I'm not helping you at all that you need to hear about it and you need to hear that what you're doing is sinful in God's eyes. And you need to understand the utter sinfulness of sin. Amen? Yeah, you need to understand the utter sinfulness of sin. So we don't ever want to be enablers of bad behavior. All right, let's look at the next section. Some greetings. Some greetings. You think, well, wait, but these are just greetings at the end of the letter. Why are we wasting our time on these? There's things we can learn from this, right? <laughs> All scriptures God breathed. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, To whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epidatus, my dear friend, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Now, remember, Asia here is Asia Minor. We're not talking about Asia as it is today. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who had an outstanding reputation among the apostles. Who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus. My dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus. Our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, My dear friend. Greet Apellus, The approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian. My kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus. Who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena. And Tryphosa. Interesting, right? The, the probably twins. Hard workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, a dear friend to many who has worked hard in the Lord. So he sends out all these greetings. All these greetings. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren with them. Greet Philogelus. I said that wrong. Philologus. And Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Let's look at some principles, right? We can talk about these things. As this letter drew to a close, Paul sends greetings to quite a few people. Right? These are him sending greetings out. right? He's sending greetings out, his personal greetings out to all these individuals. The only ones who we, that we know for sure are mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, that are mentioned elsewhere in the Bible are Prisca and Aquila. The rest of them, we don't, the rest of them, we can look at it. I don't know if you remember when we went through the section, but the rest of them, we can look at it and say, well, this might be this person who's mentioned elsewhere, or this might be, and we can kind of say, we're, we're not sure, it might be an individual that's mentioned elsewhere, but the only ones we can actually know for sure that were mentioned elsewhere in the Bible are Prisca and Aquila. Paul knew all of these people personally and wanted to extend his warmest greetings. So these are people, these are individuals that along the way, right, in, in, in various parts of his activities, in his ministries, he had met these people and got to know them, and he wanted to extend his greetings to them, his warmest greetings. Some people thought of Paul as being somewhat unfriendly, because of his unskilled style of speaking, right He came across and his speaking as unfriendly. Second Corinthians 10:10 10, 10 says, "For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive, and his speech contemptible. Now they're not talking about what he was saying, they're just talking about the way he presented it, you know that it was he was not, he was not a great public speaker. you know that was something that it was was not his forte. but yet nonetheless, the content, was awesome right the content was awesome uh but these people are saying look his, his letters are amazing but he's not imp- he's not very impressive personally and I per- I, first of all i i see that as kind of a petty sort of an opinion really because uh if you're i mean it's like it's like for example in in my in my uh teaching here i mean if if what you're focusing on is some sort of stylistic thing if you know what you're interested in is some sort of a mannerism or a way of presenting or whatever else it is then you're really focusing on the wrong things i strive and i make a great effort to try to put together the the presentations and the uh, principles and so on and so forth in such a way that there's actually a logical progression of things that you can kind of follow where my thoughts are going and where the scripture is leading us and i try to do all of this but if it's a matter of you know, does he have, you know, really, really uh, uh, an amazing presentation style, then you're focusing on the wrong things. It should be all about the content of the message and not the one who's delivering it or the style. Uh, but people do that, right? So, you know, honestly, people latch on to that. It's part of the part of the I think it's actually part of the sin nature that we do that. Second Corinthians 11:6. But even if I am unskilled in speech, that I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. You know, he's saying to them, look, I might be unskilled in speech. Okay, I'll acknowledge that. <laughs> but, but listen to what I'm saying, right? It's, it's not that I haven't presented you with truth. I'm not so in knowledge, right? In fact, in every way, we've made that this evident to you in all things. So um, I think it's important to keep in mind, we're really, do we do we know what, Paul's presentation presentation style was like we don't we just know that if you go back to first Corinthians remember there were some people that said no they really liked Apollos better than Paul right and 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 thing is we know from scripture that it was spoken of Apollos that he was really a good presenter right he was one of these people that was dynamic and and charismatic and I think of you know I I go back for example and I think of uh, the night that we went to the fundraiser for uh, Bastrop Pregnancy Resource Center and this speaker, Roland, I, I always forget his last name. Was it Warner or what? Yeah. Warren, Roland Warren. Anyway, this guy was incredible, right? He's nothing short of incredible. He was really, he really had an incredible way of presenting. He was captivating. There was no, I mean, you could have heard, you could have heard a pin drop in that uh, in that convention center. It was impressive. And so I think about that. And, and, and if I allow, for example, if I allowed my sin nature to take over, I could get really envious and really jealous of his ability to communicate that way because it was impressive. It really was. But I'm called to be Cliff Beverage, and I'm called to present to you uh, the Word of God in the way that God has allowed me to do so. And if you're focusing too much on the style of things, then you're focusing in the wrong direction. We don't know what Paul's speaking style was like. We don't know how it came across. Uh, I've actually been around individuals And I hate to say this, but it's true. I've been around individuals that had um, what's the right way to say this mannerisms and or patterns in their speaking that actually made it pretty difficult to grasp the content because there were things that they would do or say that were very distracting from the message. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been around somebody like that? Yes, sir. You know, it's interesting. I, I actually, you talk, we brought up Jay Vernon McGee. I found him, I found him pretty appealing right from the start for me. But I, I sort of like that Friends. Let me tell you a story. I'd start, for some reason, I really like Jay Vernon McGee. I mean, I, I personally, I thought that the, you know, we just recently uh, saw the promotion of Charles Stanley into glory uh, after 51 years of ministry at that church, and. Uh, I, th- I thought he was easy to listen to, but he had little mannerisms and whatnot that could be distracting if you didn't, if you didn't uh, uh, concentrate on what the message was. But I'm talking about, um, I'm trying to think of a good example, uh, I know that uh, one, one example I can think of is that uh, I remember I was, this was in college and I was listening to a, a presentation and individual would start talking really quietly and it was kind of hard to and it was I mean I'm talking about you know and his voice would go up and back down again right so you'd have this loud and then it would go real quiet and it was and it was was almost like you felt like you were on a roller coaster and it to the point where you almost stopped listening to what he was saying and it's like okay when is he going to get quiet again right you know you you started getting distracted by that so presentation styles can have a negative impact right and perhaps that's what the deal was. With Paul, but what he's trying to get at is, look, l- look at what I was saying. Pay attention to the content and don't focus on the uh, the style. Um, but you know, I mean, I mean, I don't know if I don't know if any of you have ever done. Um, I just lost the name of it. They teach people how to do presentations. Anybody you know the name of it? I've just lost it. You know, it's an organization. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> no. I can't think of it now. Anyway, that whole thing is you, you you go to them and you actually you actually give a presentation and they critique you, they critique you and they point out like for instance if you if you um say um all the um time and then um every other um uh, Toastmasters yes every other word is um they're going to point that out to you so it's really now is that kind of thing potentially worthwhile? I'd, I'd say probably so if you have something in the in your in your style of presentation that would be distracting it's probably worthwhile but he's pointing out that you know that look guys the content is what you should be focused on Uh, this section of greetings in romans makes it very clear that paul was very much a people person see i think a lot of people had the impression maybe he was not but he he definitely was a people person he very much was attached to people he was fond of certain people but you know interestingly as we as we saw in the previous passage we looked at uh, he wasn't he wasn't afraid to point out how people would desert him or, you know, I couldn't trust anybody except so and so. You know, he he would he was very honest about that. But, you know, you can definitely pick up on the fact that he was very attached to certain people and had had warm feelings for certain individuals uh, like Paul. We should make every effort to stay in touch with fellow Christians. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, this is an area where I can fall short. Uh, I don't, I don't do as, as good a job as I should of staying in contact with people that I really, in some cases I would love to stay in contact with. I mean, um, you know, uh, Joe and, uh, and, uh, Carol Ann, right? Uh, fantastic. Every time we get together with them, incredible fellowship. In fact, it's almost ridiculous because we get together and uh, and we try to have just a dinner and we, it's like, well, we're going to keep it to just a couple of hours. Now, never happens. Right. We get together and we end up going on for four hours or whatever. Um, Patriarco, I was trying to think of the last name. Uh, and and uh, but so but then we see him and then we don't even hardly talk to him again for another, uh, you know, year. Whatever it is. Right. It's crazy. I don't know why we do that. But I'm, I, I will tell you, this is an area area where I, I fall short. I mean, I should take more time. To just even if it's just a simple image, a simple email or something, just send somebody a note and just say, hey, I'm thinking about you and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so I fall short in this area, uh, I must admit. But we really should. He's given an example here of, of how he he's writing this very important letter with doctrines that are foundational to the church. And yet he takes the time at the end of it to to mention these individuals he wants to send his greetings to. And I think that's important for us to learn from. In these greetings, Paul makes mention of certain people as dear friends, approved, choice, etc. He includes that language in there, uh, talking about them. And, and uh, he does so uh, not to build them up and, and get, make them arrogant, but to acknowledge uh, what he thinks of them. Many of these people were slaves at that time. But Paul evaluated them on the basis of their spiritual walk, not their standing in society. Is that How do you evaluate people? I hope it's by their... Who they are spiritually? Where are they with the Lord? That's how you should evaluate someone. If if someone is, a, you know, if someone is is a, a, a prince or someone is a pauper, well, we should look at them the same way. Where, where are they with the Lord? That's how we should evaluate them. We should not look at their standing in society, um, you know. So, for example, I'll give you I'll give you an example in the in the negative way, right? Uh, if somebody is a politician, you ought to evaluate them based on their spiritual spiritual standing with the Lord. I know. What is your first reaction when I say politician? It's like thumbs down, right? I don't, want, don't want don't want to deal with anybody as a politician. But we shouldn't be like that, right? We should we should say, all right, where are they with the Lord? If they're really walking with God, then that's how I see that we should evaluate our brothers and sisters in Christ in a similar manner, right? That's what we that's what we need to do. We gotta. Look at not not evaluate on similar manner. Right. It doesn't matter who we're talking about here. Uh, I'm, that's what I'm saying. That's what Paul was doing. Right. That's what he was doing. We should do the same today. That's exactly how we should do it today. We should evaluate our brothers and sisters in the same manner. All right. Let's look at a warning. A warning that Paul issues here, because remember, this is an interesting thing here in Romans. I want to remind you of this. So. You, come, you, go through the, you go through the book of Romans, you get to the end of chapter 15, and it almost seems like it's the end of the letter. But then now, here's chapter 16. Of course, the higher critics, right, the, the higher critics that came around, the, the German higher critics and so on and so forth, they would say, oh, well, this really wasn't Paul that wrote this. This, came, you know, this was written by somebody else. And like, no, I, think, I mean, how many times, personally, I've done this, I can't even tell you how many times. I've written an email, for example, written an email, and I I got finished with the email, and then I said, you know what? Before I send it, I'm going to read back through the email. I'm going to go back and read through it, and I go back and I read through the email, and I go, you know, no, 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 hang on, I got it, and I'd write some more, right? I'd write some more at the end of it, and I think that's exactly what happened here. I think that he had been he had been dictating all of this. And it was written, and he went back and he looked over the letter and said, no, 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 well, I, I got I some more I need to say, right? So then he went on, and that's where chapter 16 comes from. And he sends all these greetings, and he makes mention of Phoebe that we saw at the beginning. But now he issues a warning. Now, I urge you, brethren, watch out for those who cause dissensions and create obstacles contrary to the teaching which you learn, and stay away from them. For such people are serving as slaves of their own fleshly appetites, not of our Lord Christ. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. I'll go back and look at that again just real quickly. Notice, causing dissensions, creating obstacles, contrary to the teaching which you learned. See, that's really important. These are individuals who are not only, not only are they slick, smooth, flattering, deceiving, but they're actually Causing dissensions within the local church, right? Creating obstacles for other believers. you got to really be careful about this sort of thing. It's one of the things, by the way, I, I hear uh, some of you within the corporate prayer meetings that we have at this local church praying about this. Asking that the Lord would protect us from those who would come from without or come from within and create this kind of a problem within the local church. We need to think about that. Uh, They're serving as slaves of their own fleshly appetites. We should be on the alert and watch out for people who might lead others astray and take action when we see it happening. We always need to be on the lookout, don't we? I mean, first of all, we're we're always supposed to be spiritually alert. I mean, when do we stop being spiritually alert? The fact of the matter is, the only time of day, the only time of day that I can think of when you're not going to be spiritually alert is when you're sound asleep. Right. I mean, and then you've got the Lord's protection on you at that point. But at that point, if you if you've been functioning the way you were supposed to be all day long, really, you're kind of going to be on the alert even then, aren't you? Because if you wake up, if something wakes you up in the middle of the night, you're going to be in fellowship, Right. You don't want to go to bed? You know, I, I will say that they, people say don't ever go to bed angry. I say don't ever go to bed carnal. It's <laughs> Bad idea, right? A very bad idea. But we need to always be on the alert. But this is something that's important is watch out for people like this. Watch out for people like this. I missed, I missed whatever was said, by the way. I'll have to hear it afterwards. <laughs> oh, yeah, depends on what wakes you up. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You you definitely experienced that firsthand, didn't you? Second uh, Thessalonians three fourteen and fifteen says, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person, and do not associate with him, so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Notice what he says. So in other words, what he's saying is, you're, look, you're getting the teaching. You have got this message in this letter. And if they don't obey that, then make note of that, right? This is someone who's not obeying what was in this letter. Don't associate with them that that they will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. In other words, the idea, here's my point. The idea of that shame was not to actually punish the brother. It was to bring them to a place where they were ready for an admonishment, right? That's the point of it. And why would you admonish somebody you would do so in love? The point of it is you're trying to help them get on the right path, right? They're, they're veering off course, and you're trying to be a fellow worker with God and get them down the right right path. Similar to conviction from the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. You, well, so, yeah, you, you, want to, you, want to actually be, you want to actually be a vessel of the message of God to potentially bring about a conviction for them, right, that they would be convicted by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but that would, that comes through uh, again, again, an admonishment done in love, uh, and you would have to have to do so. But the idea of the shame, if you look at, if you look at the way the, the scriptures talk about sorrow and shame and all these kinds of things, these are tools that God uses to bring about a change of heart. That's what God does. That's, that's how this works. So putting them to shame is to bring about a change. Uh, we talked about it on Sunday, a repentance of that individual who's rebelling against the things of the word of God. We should reject those who cause dissent divisions I, in there. I didn't say dissent. I said divisions in the congregation. Uh, that's something this this is important. Uh, Titus 3, 10, 11 says reject a factious man. That's what that means. Somebody who's causing divisions. Reject a factious man after the first and second warning. we well, see. There you go. You got a couple of warning shots first, right? First and second warning. Knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. You know, it's not it's not popular anymore to call somebody perverted, is it? I've gotten to where I'm not shying away from it. Right. I'm just saying it. That's perverted. That's depraved. That's disgusting. Right. I'm just calling it like it is uh, because that's what the word of God says. I mean, the, the fact is, this is interesting because this is a this is a factious. This is a factious man. This is somebody who's intentionally creating divisions and anybody see we've been we've been very blessed in this local church that we have not seen a massive split of this local church now we've had we've had some some disruptions along the way right that's all every local church will we've been around long enough that you would expect that but we haven't really had anybody come here and and try to divide our congregation but boy, I bet you if I bet you if we went around the room and we asked some questions, some of you could tell some stories about these things happening in local churches. And some of it, some of it is they come in and it's intentional. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's the, rea- the reality of it is that at some point after they've been given the proper warnings, you need to reject them. Now, what does that mean? What do you think that means to reject them? They don't, they're not welcome in your church anymore. Right. You reject them. And that goes back to the Matthew example, right? The, the, you go to talk to somebody on an individual basis. You talk to them two or three, and then the whole church, that's it. They're gone. You don't want that individual in your local church because they're going to they're they're divide the body of Christ that's in that local church and cause great harm. And that's you, you don't allow somebody like that to continue. Now, if, what about if they repent? What about if they realize what they were doing and they repent? Well, then if there's true repentance, what do you do? You welcome them, welcome them back into the church. That's the... That's the mistake that the Corinthians made after repentance. They didn't let such a one come back. Yeah. Observing good examples helps us identify people on the wrong track. This is this is really important examples. Philippians 3, 17 through 19. Brethren, join together with the others who are following my example and pay careful attention to those who walk according to the example you have in us. Pay careful attention. To those who walk according to the example you have in us, for many walk of whom I told you many times and now tell you, even with tears of sadness, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their desires and whose glory is in their shameful deeds, who set their minds on earthly things. Right. So we, we got to be careful about this. I mean, the, the individuals who. Follow the examples, those godly examples. And that's, by the way, that's an important thing in a local church. I'll tell you right now, that's one of the things about coming to a local church. Is As you come to a local church, you're part of a local church ministry, you will be around believers who are walking the walk. You will be around believers who are examples, godly examples. And it's not when you're following them, you're following them as they follow Christ, Right. It's, that's the key, as they are followers of Christ, you will, then be, you will then look at them as an example and follow their example as they follow Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Following my example, pay careful attention to those who walk according to the example you have in us. But then he's talking about many walk, of whom I've told you many times, and tell you even with and now tell you even with tears of sadness, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, ha, I have not seen. Something like that within our local church where somebody who is an outright enemy of the cross of Christ. But it could certainly happen. It could certainly happen. So you got to be paying attention and you will know the difference. If you understand a godly example, then you'll know someone who's not walking in a godly way. Now, he goes on in this case. Who do you think he's talking about here? When he says in this, he said there are enemies of the cross of Christ who end, whose end is destruction, whose god is their desires, and whose glory is in their shameful deeds, who set their mind on earthly things. You reckon he's talking about believers or unbelievers? Kind of, what's that? Believers. You think this is believers? Could be. Could be, Could be. That's why I asked the question, right? Could you can you have believers who are in a local church that are actually functioning in a way where they're enemies of the cross of Christ? You can. What's that? Yeah, Yeah. so you so this could so this could be this could be a believer. That's why I asked the question, because it sounds like he's talking about an unbeliever, doesn't it? But a cardinal believer can do this, too. Yeah. And so you say, well, he says whose end is destruction doesn't that mean they're going to the lake of fire. He didn't say that, did he? Could be the sin of the death. Right. That's exactly right. So that's why I asked the question, because. You know, it really sounds like he's saying these are unbelievers, but you can have believers within a local church that are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now let me ask any of you in this room, do you want to be that guy? (laughs) I mean, I don't want to be that guy. (laughs) I don't want to be that believer that is, is is in that way. But you also, by the way, you will also have it's worth mentioning, you will also have within a local church, individuals who will come into the church. It's harder in a small church like this. The bigger the church is, the easier this is for ha- to happen. But in, you can have unbelievers come into a church who can also function as what Paul just described, right? As enemies of the cross of Christ. Unbelievers, unbelievers are welcome to come to our local church, but they're going to hear the gospel. And they're going to hear the truth. And that's the way it's going to be. But we have to recognize that, you, you know, individuals can creep in, right? I always call them the creeps, right? They creep into a local church and it could be. Uh, believers or unbelievers? Yes, sir. This, this particular church, and I'd say, most of the members that come here, especially this group here, are, we are very hypersensitive hyper to that kind of thing. And if somebody come, come, came in, the Holy Spirit would be working through us instantaneously and lead them out. Well, I think that's true. I think it's true that uh, believers that are that are walking. Uh, by means of the spirit, who are filled with the spirit and so on, are going to be sensitive to that. Right. They're going to they're going to recognize when someone is is not where they need to be and, and what what they're up to. And I think in a small church, it's much more easy to recognize something like this. But the reality of it is um, you never ha- you never let your guard down. Right. You never do. We cannot recognize ideas which are contrary to sound teaching unless we have been under sound teaching. Now, that, that seems like a simple idea, doesn't it? I mean, it almost sounds like a stupid thing to have to say. But think about that. If you if you if you are a Christian in America today and you're going to a church where you're not getting taught the word of God and you're not getting sound teaching, how are you going to recognize things that are not right? You don't have a basis. You you can't if you open up your Bible and read it. Right. You You can learn a lot by reading your Bible. There are, I think that's, I think that's right. I think there's a lot of people that in spite of what is being taught at the churches, they actually come to know God and they understand that's true. That is very true. Like you said, that positive volition flicker. But the reality of it is, isn't it a whole lot better to just be under teaching and actually learn the things of the word of God? And then you're able to recognize it. I always go back, pastors always do this, but I had personal experience with this. They always talk about the money thing, right? But I had personal experience with this. When I was in the coin business, we were trained by an individual. I don't even remember his name now, but an individual from the Treasury Department came to our coin store and taught us how to recognize counterfeit currency. And you know how he taught us? He showed us what the real currency looks like. And then when he would put a counterfeit before you, you could go, oh, yeah, that's fake. I mean, it was amazing. And so that's that is that example is used by pastors all the time. But I personally experienced it and when we learn. And by the way, it's even harder now to counterfeit because of all the extra stuff they put on our money. But even back then, even back then, you could look at it and you could tell whether something was a counterfeit or not. Well. What, so what you talk about, you can feel it. Well, that's if they're not using the right paper, right? If, because, because our paper is actually cloth. I mean, our money is actually cloth. It's not paper, but we call it paper money, but it's actually cloth. But see what people started doing, what they started doing is they started taking $1 bills, bleaching them, right? They'd bleach them clean and then they print 20s on there. And so they would try to get away with that, but you could still, you could actually still recognize it if you knew, if you knew what a legitimate one looked like. And, and even when the counter, and by the way, we got to see some ones that were really high quality counterfeits. I mean, really high quality. And if you, you know, I'd get there, you know, like the coin, the jewelers do and the coin people do. I got there with my loop. And right? I'm there with my little loop and I'm looking at it I'm going, oh, yeah, this is a fake, right? Because you could pick up on what was what was not right. So anyway, it this makes a huge difference in the Christian life in the spiritual life. If you understand truth, you could spot a lie. You spot the falsehoods. Galatians one, eight and nine. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before so I say again now: If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. And that's anathema, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, to accursed. It's a very strong word. Uh, but the reality of it is, uh, if you, if somebody, if if I started, if by, and this has happened, this has happened in local churches. So don't think about, don't think what I'm about to say to you is far-fetched. If all of a sudden I start preaching a different gospel from this pulpit. You better be on the alert. You better be aware of that. If all of a sudden a different gospel comes from my mouth and I'm teaching something different in terms of the gospel from this pulpit, you need to be alarmed. Right? And that's happened. This has happened. There, there, I, I know of pastors that were solid, solid doctrinal pastors teaching the things of the word of God and went off the deep end. right? Went off the deep end. And so you've got to be aware of that it can happen, folks, first Timothy six three and four three and four A. if anyone teaches strange doctrines and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the teaching and conformity with godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. and I, go, I, I wanted to stop right there. You can go on from there, he has an unhealthy interest in arguments and verbal disputes. But if anyone starts teaching you strange if, if honestly, if we had if someone I invited to come to the church uh, to, as a missionary or whatever else, and they got up here behind this pulpit and they started teaching some strange doctrines, believe me, believe you me, you would have a lesson on that the very next time we got together. I would be teaching as to why that was not correct, right? Because I've got to be on the alert for that. If anyone uh, teaches teaches those things, that's somebody who is is not, not aware, not understanding. The standard for determining that teaching is is uh, that that teaching is sound is god breathed and is the inspired word of god that's the whole thing right that's the standard for everything i always talk about it you hear me repeat it and you think it sounds why does he keep telling us this because this is what it comes back to folks we have a completed canon of scripture it's god breathed and inspired it's been preserved for us by god himself and you can measure my ministry by the bible am i teaching what god's word says and if i am then everything's good. If I'm not. Then you need to do something about it. Second Peter one, 20 and 21, knowing this above all, that no prophecy of scripture comes into being from the prophet's own imagination, for no prophecy was ever produced by an act of human will. But instead, when they were moved by the Holy Spirit, men spoke from God. Now, when Peter says that, what he's saying is that was true of that was true of. Genesis. Exodus. Leviticus numbers Deuteronomy just walk your way through all of that none of that was produced by an act of human will but instead when they were moved by the Holy Spirit men spoke from God and verbal plenary inspiration by the way is and we're not going to talk about that in detail tonight but that's a, that's an amazing thing that God has done right to be able to speak his word from individual personalities without nullifying their personality, right? He didn't turn people into robots. He used their personalities, and they wrote. I mean, if you, again, you don't have the chance to do this. You could, but you don't, most of you don't have the chance to do this. If you went and looked and you read, you read the Greek that was written by Paul, and then you read the Greek that was written by Peter, and then you read the Greek that was written by John, it was clearly three different people because the Greek is totally different, totally different. So, you know, you see that their personalities are evident in all of that. And yet, at the same time, God was able to perfectly communicate the fullness of his word to us through that. Second, Timothy three sixteen. Some of you know this passage, <laughs> this verse, all scripture is inspired by God and literally God breathed inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. Now, interestingly, you know, some people today have this idea it's New Testament only or Pauline epistles only or whatever they got, you know, some of these weird ideas. When this was written, what were the scriptures? Most of what the scriptures were was the Old Testament, the Septuagint. So when Paul wrote this, he was talking about by and large, the Old Testament, because see, here's the thing, even though this is Second Timothy, right? This is near the end. This is one of the letters near the end. How many churches had all of it? How many churches had all of the New Testament writings? Not, I, probably none. They would have some of those scrolls, but they almost none of the churches had all of them. And they certainly didn't have this letter because it was just now being written. Right. So uh, the fact of the matter is. Most of what he was talking about, the big bulk of the content he was talking about was the Old Testament scripture. So those who those who throw the Old Testament out and only study the new, they're making a huge mistake. Uh, Acts 17, 11 of these were more noble minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And who are we talking about here? Who are the individuals? Examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The Bereans. Yeah, the Bereans. Yeah. The Bereans. They were diligent. They, so what? That, why, why is that important? I exhort you to do the same thing. I teach you something from the word of God. You hear a lesson from this pulpit. Search the scriptures and see if these things are so. And if you go in your Bible and you find something that seems to contradict what I'm teaching, come talk to me about it. Because I don't want to teach an error. And if it's something that maybe you're misunderstanding in terms of context or how it should be applied or so on and so forth, I'll try to help you understand that. But the reality is I don't want to teach an error. So if you search the scriptures and you see something that you think I might not be teaching correctly, please bring it to my attention. I'm not I'm not so arrogant as to think that I'm never going to preach something from the pulpit. That's not exactly what it needs to be. Let me see where we are on this. All right, We just have a couple more points. We got just a couple minutes here. A couple more points. Unfortunately, there are smooth talkers who set out to deceive. Right? That's the truth. Boy, I won't even name examples, but you all can think of them. Right? You know who I'm talking about. There's. We've had examples in our lifetime. But realize this: that in the last day, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving. "...irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins." Led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's that's a pretty powerful statement. Never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, always learning. Uh, And these are individuals that are that are just out to deceive. Right. That's what they're doing. Second Peter, chapter two, one through three. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive doctrines, even disowning the master who bought them. Bringing rapid destruction upon themselves. Now, these are unbelievers here, by the way. A large number of people will accept their sensuality as an example, and because of them, the way of truth will be reviled. And in their insatiable greed, they will take advantage of you with deceptive words. Their judgment from eternity past has not become idle, and their destruction is not sluggish. This is Second, Second uh, Peter, and Chapter Two, of course, talks about the false teachers, and. And that these individuals are unbelievers that are misleading people down further in that chapter in verses 18 and 19 for speaking out arrogant and empty words. They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who just barely escape from the ones who continually live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of moral decay. For by what someone has been overpowered by this, he has been enslaved. So these are individuals who are out to try to. Uh, lead people astray from the faith and they're teaching them deceitful things. We we must be careful to stay away from these people. Matthew 7:15 says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, that's not a light warning, right? There's individuals that show up and that boy, they have the appearance. They have the appearance. They put on the front. They look like, yeah, I promise you, this is what's sad. And this is talking about false prophets, of course, which is a different thing. But what about the false teachers? We just saw in Peter, what was he talking about? The false teachers, right? Uh, there have been committees that have been pastors, pastor search committees who have brought individuals like this into local churches because, boy, they put on, they put on all the appearance, and they put on the right kind of a, a show, and they brought them in, and, and, and they found out. That it was a it was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And uh you gotta be really careful about that. Uh Second Thessalonians three, six. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. Now this is just this is talking about just a brother who's gone astray, right? Who's out of control, leading an unruly life, not according to the tradition which you received. From us, And by the way, by the, that language, tradition is actually not a good translation because that word, what it means is actually what's been handed down. Right. What has been handed down to you from us, the things which we handed down, which you received from us. You think of the word tradition, you think, well, I don't want to get involved in stuff that's just tradition. Right. Because I want to stick. But that's not what that word really means. If we were going to translate it, it would be the idea of what we've handed down and what you have received from us. Uh, Second John, which we don't go to very often, right? Second John 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. Now, see, Paul's just been offering all these greetings, right? He's been offering all these greetings to individual. And we're going to see that he actually uh, uh, is is talking about more greetings here later in this letter. But the reality is he's saying if there's somebody who comes along like this and they're trying to bring you false teaching. So if, if the Jehovah's Witness shows up at your door. Don't let him into your house. Do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. So I guess if a Jehovah's Witness comes up, if you want to follow the scripture, you can talk to him about Jesus Christ, but just do it out do it out there on the porch. <laughs> don't bring him into your house. You talk to him out on your porch. You know, you can bring him some lemonade or something, right? But don't uh, don't invite him into your house. The whole idea is that you don't want to be a participant in any of this, right? You don't want to participate in what they're involved in. So that's somebody who you don't want to offer a greeting to. All right, we have some encouragement and we'll have to come back to this next time in verses nineteen and twenty. Some encouragement. Did I run past the end of what I printed out? Or are we still on the Okay, excellent. All right. We will come back next time and we'll look at uh, verses nineteen and twenty and I suspect that potentially, depending on how it goes, uh, you know, who knows? We may wrap up the book of Romans on Sunday morning, Lord willing. We'll see. We'll be done with our review. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Any questions, by the way, about what we talked about tonight? All right. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's amazing how your word, even in a section like this, it's a closing of a letter. There's greetings. There's different messages here. It's amazing how much we can learn from these things. It teaches us a lot about how we are to behave, uh, how we should treat our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we're given warnings about those that would try to come in and bring about divisiveness. Those that would come in and potentially try to stir up things and cause obstacles within the congregation. These are real threats, Heavenly Father. We need to pay attention. These, these are important verses that warn us about those who would potentially try to damage a local church like this. And we know that there are people that can come from outside who can cause that kind of thing. And we know that there's people that can come from inside who can cause that sort of thing. And so, Father, we, we lift it up before you and pray that we would have alertness all the time. We'd pay attention to what it is that your word is telling us. We pay attention to those around us. Be aware of our surroundings, uh, always on the alert. And, uh, Father, I pray that in particular uh, for this particular local church, for the the overseer myself, uh, for the deacons, that all who are involved would be paying attention to what's happening and be aware of potential threats. So, Father, I thank you for all the, the different messages that we learn from your word. It's important for every aspect of our lives we cannot discount one section or the other of, of your word and just say, oh, well, that's not really that important. All of it's important. And I thank you that as we looked at this section, we, we picked up a lot of things tonight. Help us to remember these things. Help us to dwell on these things. And help us to uh, not only uh, take it in as knowledge, but have it become wisdom so that we can use it every day in our daily lives in this lost and dying world. We pray all of these things in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen.